0: Well, saints, again, we're talking about the need for a new revival. And I just want to remind us again, I'm a broken record here, uh, that uh, when we talk about a new revival, we're talking about a revival that will bring the Lord back. And that will change this age from the age of grace to the age of a kingdom of a thousand years. And that will prepare us to be the bride of Christ. This is what we're talking about We talk about the need for a new revival. Now, uh, so far we've talked about reaching the highest peak of the divine revelation. Tonight you can see we want to talk about living the life of a God-man. Living the life of a God-man. And the Lord does not want a good man. He wants a God-man. The Lord does not want a person of mere ethics, right? our ethics are God Himself. God is our goodness. God is our patience. God is our love. God is our purity. God is our everything. This was Job's problem. Job's problem was that he was not a God-man. He was a good man, but he was not a God-man. He was short of God. He was short of God. Saints, all our problems are due to the fact that we're short of God. We need more God. We need to gain more of God. That's why the Lord puts us in circumstances, that's why we pass through things, is so that we can gain more of God. That we can gain more of God and be God-men in reality. You know, at the end of the book of Job, Job said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you wherefore therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes the more we see the Lord the more we deny ourselves And the more we hate ourselves and the more we love him so the Lord wants a God-man we need to pray Lord make me a God-man save me from being we need to take out the one O in good, right? And and yet just have God save me from being a good man. I want to be a God man. I want to gain God. I want to know God. I want to live God. I want to be saturated with God. I want to be soaked with God. I want to be filled with God. I want to be united with God, I want to be mingled with God, I want to be incorporated with God, I want to be lost in God, I want to be found in God. Hallelujah! God wants a God-man. And saints, we can say that the title of this message tonight is, Being Discipled to Live the Life of a God-man. Being Discipled to live the life of a God-man, to be today's overcomers for a new revival. What the Lord wants to do is he wants to disciple us, to live the life of a God-man, to be today's overcomers for a new revival. All of us are the Lord's disciples. We are his learners. We are his learners. So, we none of us can say we've arrived. None of us should say, I've heard that, I've done that, I've seen that, I know that. Well then let's have a funeral for you if that's the case. Uh, you know, uh, we should never have that kind of attitude. I've heard this before, I've seen this before. Uh, uh, we've heard these things before. Actually, if you say we've heard these things before, then you're not in the spirit, you're in your mind. and you're in the letter, you're in the letter of the word. You are not a loving seeker of the Lord at that moment. You are a letter keeper of the Word. If you're in your spirit, everything is new. Everything is fresh. Everything is real. Everything is vital. So we need to be in our spirit tonight. And we want to be discipled. We want to be discipled. Uh, You know, uh, in Ephesians 4, 20-21 it says that we are learning Christ we are learning Christ not learning about Christ but learning Christ as the reality is in Jesus we need to learn Christ as the reality is in Jesus and uh, the reality in Jesus is the actual condition of the life of Jesus as recorded in the four gospels so we are learning Christ according to that actual condition of his human living recorded in the four gospels. That means he wants that human living recorded in the four gospels reproduced in us and duplicated in us. And we'll see as we eat him, as we drink him, as we breathe him, we are learning Christ. And the reality in Jesus becomes our reality. And the life in the four gospels Becomes our life duplicated in us corporately. Amen. Then, of course, the Lord says in Matthew 11:28 through 30, He says, "Come to me, all you who toil and are burdened. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are toiling and burdened tonight? Come to Him. Amen. I like to come to Him tonight. Amen. Come to me, all you who toil and are burdened, and I will give you rest." I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. Again you see the word learn. Learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Now what is his yoke there? The, the Lord's yoke is the Father's will. Uh, The Lord's burden is the work to carry out the Father's will. So when He says, my yoke is easy, that means if we take His yoke upon us, His yoke is easy to us. It's easy, it's mild, it's gentle, it's pleasant. Sometimes we feel, oh my goodness, this is so hard what they're asking me to do in the church life. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to usher, I've got to serve with the children. I've got to be an overcomer with the junior hires, I've got to do all kind of things, you know. When we have that attitude, a a light should go off in our being, we've got the wrong yoke on. We've got the wrong yoke on, because His yoke, the Father's will, is easy, and His burden, which is the work to carry out the Father's will, is light, is light. Always remember that, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. Isn't that wonderful? And we need to learn of him in that way, in that way. Now, um, let's come to Roman numeral one. Uh, Let's see here, get some water here. And I find out I have a little stand here like this. This is a good provision here, praise the Lord. Okay, brother's taking care of me in a good way. Okay. Romans 1 says God needs a corporate people to be raised up by His grace, through the high peak of the divine revelation, to live a life according to this revelation, to live a life according to this revelation. Then A says a revival is the, practi- the practice, the practicality of the vision we have seen. A revival is the practice. The practicality of the vision we have seen. We saw a vision in the first two messages and now we want to see the practice and the practicality of that vision. Uh, actually this message, uh, I would say this message, uh, I don't know what the Lord is exactly is going to speak tonight, but I believe it's going to be very simple. Uh, it's, it's where the rubber meets the road. You know, uh, one time someone asked Vince Lombardi, you know, he's a famous football coach for the Green Bay Packers years ago, and they asked him, how do you win so many football games? He says, we just block and tackle. We block and tackle. Listen, that's the way to win the game. It's not all these fancy plays, it's blocking and tackling, right? So we're going to talk about divine and mystical blocking and tackling tonight. Okay, now, B says if we practice living the life of a God-man, which is the reality of the body of Christ, spontaneously, a corporate model will be built up, a model living in the economy of God. This, listen to this. This model will be the greatest revival in the history of the church to bring the Lord back. That means we ourselves, we ourselves will be the greatest revival in the history of the church to bring the Lord back. We'll be a model, a group of people living in the reality of the economy of God, and this model will be the greatest revival in the history of the church to bring the Lord back. Now, to practice living the life of a God man, you can see from this point, is the reality of the body of Christ. If we do this. Spontaneously, a corporate model will be built up a model I love these words a model living in the economy of God the economy of God is not a doctrine to us we are living in the economy of God and this model will be the greatest revival in the history of the church to bring the Lord back that is a new revival a new revival now uh I have a number of points I would like to share with you about living in the economy of God. Uh, some of them might overlap one another. Forgive me if they do, uh, but I just, I just wrote some things down that we need to practice and that need to be a model with us. Uh, our practice should be a model. Our practice should be a model. We have certain life practices, but are they a model? Are they a model? to the other churches or to the other saints in our, in our daily living. Okay, uh, one group of verses is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 20. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 20. This verse is, I would say these verses are the, are the screw that operates the entire machinery of God's eternal economy. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 20. It says, always rejoice. It doesn't say every other day rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice when you feel like it. Who said that? That's right, brother. Always rejoice. Praise the Lord. Always rejoice. No matter how you feel, always rejoice. No matter how you feel, say three words. Praise the Lord. Let's say that three times. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord. Okay, so we always rejoice. Then uh, what's next after that? Unceasingly pray. Unceasingly pray. And to unceasingly pray is to call on the Lord all the time. Okay, how much do we rejoice? Just consider, you don't have to answer. But how much do we rejoice during the day? We're short, aren't we? We're short. We need to pray, Lord, increase my rejoicing in you. In Psalm 119, David said, seven times a day do I praise you. Seven times a day do I praise you. Watchman Nee said, don't let David beat you in praising the Lord. He prays seven times a day. You should praise at least eight times a day. Of course, we should praise more. But we should tell the Lord, Lord, increase my rejoicing in you, Amen. increase my praising of you. Amen. Then how about unceasingly praying? Do we pray without ceasing? Do we call on the Lord without ceasing? Do we say, Oh Lord? Are we oh lording our way into the kingdom? Are we saying, Oh Lord Jesus, I love you? Saints, learn to say. Oh Lord, then add Jesus, O oh Lord Jesus, then add I love you, Oh Lord Jesus, I love you. This is to unceasingly pray, unceasingly pray. Uh, you know, uh, recently, recently I was very touched. You know, we, um, we've been grafted into Christ as the cultivated olive tree. We were the wild olive branches, and we've been grafted into Christ as the cultivated olive tree to produce olives, to produce olives. And we've been, we've been uh, put into Christ as the vine tree to produce grapes. Well, when those olives and grapes are under pressure, what you have is olive oil and wine, right? You have olive oil, you have oil and wine, you have oil and wine. Well, if you look in the book of Luke, you remember with the parable of the Good Samaritan, you remember what he poured into that, that, that person's wounds was oil and wine, Amen. oil and wine. Of course, we realize we need the Lord to be our Good Samaritan. Right. We need him to be our neighbor. We need him to pour into our wounds oil and wine. But at the end of that parable, he said, go and do likewise which means that we need to be one with Him to go out and pour the Spirit and the life into the wounds of people who are wounded and depressed and dejected and down. And then that will heal them. That will heal them. Now, how can we produce that oil and wine? It's by calling on the name of the Lord. It's by saying, Oh, Lord, I'm just quoting the ministry. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. You can say, Oh Lord, oh Lord Jesus. We need to call on the do we call on the Lord enough? We can't can't say we call on the Lord enough. We need to call on the Lord more. We need to say, Lord Jesus, increase my calling on you. Always rejoice. Unceasingly pray. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say in every other thing give thanks. It doesn't say give thanks when you feel like it. It says in everything give thanks. You know, I was in the Dominican Republic with this brother and uh, we were sharing in a place with no air conditioning and they lost our luggage. They lost our luggage. And so, uh, you know, for me to find clothes in the the Dominican Republic is not easy, (laughs) not easy so our luggage was lost and uh, and so you know every so often I would think about my clothes and I would just go oh no I didn't say oh Lord I said oh no and the brother the brother would remind me said Ed remember in everything give thanks I would say amen brother Lord Jesus thank you thank you Lord well let me just say this saints Start out thanking the Lord for the good things. Uh, Give the Lord a thanksgiving offering every day, a thanksgiving offering every day. You know, um, if, uh, Paul, I don't know if you have, do you have your your recovery version with the notes with you, brother? I've got, I just have the text here, and I've got the notes in my briefcase. If someone could, oh, thank, no, I need the Old Testament, I need the Old Testament. If someone could look up Isaiah fifty verse fourteen, and read. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, Ron, thank you. Yeah, let, let me let me read this to you. It's Psalm fifty, Psalm fifty verse fourteen. This verse really affected me very deeply. Uh, Psalm fifty verse fourteen, it says this. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and repay your vows to the Most High. So saints, every day we need to offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Now, what does the note say on this? It says, this this psalm tells us that some of the saints of God were offering burnt offerings and other kinds of offerings. But because they were lacking in affection, they would not offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Thus, the psalmist speaking for God indicated that what God wants is not the burnt offering, but the thanksgiving offering. We can offer certain offerings without being touched in our hearts, but when we are thankful to God and offer Him a prayer of thanksgiving, our hearts are deeply touched and we are filled with affection and tender feeling toward God. This is the kind of offering God desires. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you very much, Brother Maude. Thank you, Brother. So we need to offer a thanksgiving offering to God every day. Every day do this, saints. Don't let this just this pass by you. Say, Lord, I'd like to offer you as a thanksgiving offering to God today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for a new day to enjoy you. Thank you for the good weather, Lord. How about that? I've never seen weather like this in uh, at this time of year in Boston, right. <laughs> You can you can thank the Lord for the for especially after that snow you had. Oh my goodness, it was like Siberia here, right? <laughs> my, go- it was it was worse than Siberia. So you can thank the Lord for good things, right? You can thank the Lord for a new day to enjoy Him. You can thank the Lord. Lord, thank you that I have another day to enjoy You. Thank you that I can give myself to You. Thank you that I'm. Thank you that I'm still alive, Lord. Thank you for keeping me to this day so that I can enjoy you and I could be involved in a new revival to bring you back. So in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Saints, we need to thank the Lord more. Thank the Lord more. When you thank the Lord, you get filled with the Spirit. According to Ephesians 5, 18-21, uh, through 21, One way to be filled in spirit is to give thanks at all times for all things. So we need to thank the Lord at all times for all things. Then these verses go on, and it says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. That means the spirit is flaming within us. The spirit is burning within us. And Paul was saying, don't put the spirit out. Don't put the spirit out. Sometimes the Lord wants us to do something Sometimes the Lord wants us to go somewhere. Sometimes the Lord wants us to speak to somebody. Sometimes the Lord wants us to speak in a meeting, and we say no. And the Lord says, go. We say, no. He says, go. I'm so glad if you keep talking to the Lord, eventually he will defeat you. He'll say, go, and eventually you'll say, okay, Lord, I'll go. I'll go, Lord. But don't quench the spirit. Don't put the spirit out. The Spirit is burning within you. The Lord said in Luke 12:49 through 50, he said, I have come to cast fire on the earth and how I wish that it were already kindled. He said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how, I, how I'm pressed until it is accomplished. That word baptism there means his death on the cross. He was pressed to accomplish his death on the cross to release the fire of his life into our being. So no matter how we feel, there is fire in us. There's the fire of God's life in us. Don't quench the spirit. In, Le- in Leviticus 6, 12 and 13, the first thing the priests had to do in the in the morning was uh, they had to make sure that the fire of the altar did not go out. Leviticus 6, 12 through 13. Uh, On the burnt offering altar, that burnt offering altar, the fire came from the heavens and lit that altar. So the Lord charged the priest. He said, the first thing you do in the morning, I want you to burn wood on the altar. And then he said this. He said, this fire must not go out. And then he said, this fire shall not go out. Can you imagine the priest? I don't know if they they didn't have alarms then. But I know he was up. You know what I mean? You cannot let this fire go out. Whatever you do, don't let this fire go out. Go out. This is why we have morning revival because we don't want the fire in us to go out. It must not go out, it shall not go out. Do not quench the spirit. But we have to confess many times we do quench the spirit. You see? So we're short. We can't say, oh, I've heard these things. Yes, we've heard these things, but how much do we practice them? How much do we practice them? Don't quench the Spirit. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. What is it to prophesy? To prophesy is to speak for the Lord, to prophesy is to speak forth the Lord, and to prophesy is to speak the Lord into one another. Do not despise prophecies, especially don't despise your prophecy. Don't despise your prophecy. Don't say, oh, I, I don't have that much. Well, 1 Corinthians 14.31 says you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. In Numbers 11.29, Moses said, he said, my desire is that all the Lord's children would be prophets and that God would put his spirit upon them. So the greatest writer in the Old Testament was Moses. The greatest writer in the New Testament was Paul. Both of them said that all God's people can prophesy. All God's people can prophesy. Do not despise prophesy. prophesying. Now, um, you know, we have a verse in 1 Corinthians 3 where it says, I planted, a Paul is watered, but God gives the growth. Well, in the meetings there are sprinklers in the meetings. There's a sprinkler system in the meetings. And, of course, in in Anaheim, we don't get much rain. It's just sun, 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 sun. You look in the weather report. Sun, 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 sun. Okay, so we need sprinklers to make our grass green. Now, uh, in the meetings, we we have sprinklers in the meetings. Sometimes a brother gets up, like Daniel gets up, he just waters us all, just you know, the sprinkler just goes like this, and we all get water. But sometimes I get up, and it's just, but I shouldn't be discouraged, because Paul gets watered. He's right next to me, right? He's right next to me, so he gets watered. So somebody will get watered. If you share, you will water somebody. Somebody will get help. Somebody will get encouraged. Somebody will get supplied. Uh, so don't despise Prophecies Don't despise prophecies. Now, uh, let's see. We've got this uh, practice that we practice, and it's called P. I'll make this big here. S-R-P. P-S-R-P. What does this mean? The first P is pray-read, pray-read. Saints, we need to pray-read the word. Pray, read the word. Don't just, your your time with the Lord should not, should be a quality time, where you pray, read the word. You know, when we come together, we pray, read the word. We repeat the word to one another. But when we, when we have a personal time with the Lord, we need to take the word by means of all prayer. That means by various means of prayer. By various means of prayer. That means we need to personalize the word. Personalize it. Uh put something with your name on it you see like at my wedding I invited all my tax collector friends to my wedding so that I could preach the gospel to them and the Lord spoke to me acts 5:20 and that verse is go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life Amen. that word is still in me because I pray read that verse I pray read that verse Now the way we study the Bible, is to pray, read the Bible. Pray, read the Bible. So, pray, read the Word. Amen. Are you satisfied with your level of pray reading? No. We need more pray reading, and we, we need more quality pray reading, right? Where we really pray over the Word, where we find God's words, and we eat God's words. So, uh, you have pray reading, then you have studying. Now why do I have the first P here, I have the first P bigger? Because lots of times we just study and recite and prophesy, S-R-P. But, there's no, but the P here is very small. So I made the P here big, actually I should have made it very big, very big. Because this governs all the other things. When you study, you should study prayerfully. When you recite, you should recite prayerfully and spontaneously, if you do that, you will prophesy. It will get into your enlightened mind, into your enlightened memory, and you will have something to speak to the saints. Pray, read, study, recite, and prophesy. But remember, the most important letter in this PSRP is the first P. P. Uh, You know, our brother told us that there was his brother in mainland China they called him the living concordance. You could recite, he, he memorized the whole New Testament. You could quote a verse to him, Matthew 22:15. 15, he could tell you the verse. But he had very little light from the Bible. Why didn't he have light from the Bible? He memorized the Bible, he could recite the Bible, but, and he studied the Bible. If you went to him, he studied the Bible. But when he studied the Bible, he had his Bible all marked up. He would say, "Wait a second, and then he would take his pipe out, put tobacco in his pipe, and smoke his pipe. And then, so you had to wait until he's finished smoking his pipe for him to get back to the Bible. Well, uh, if he would have pray read, he would have stopped smoking his pipe. You see, he would have been he would he wouldn't have done that right. So, and he would have he would have been a person who prophesied. So again. We need P, S, R, P. All he had was S, R. All he had was S, R. If, if that, he had S, R. Well, he did have R. For sure he had R. But that, I think that's about it. He could recite. He could recite. But no real prophesying. No real pray reading. So we need to pray read, study, recite, and prophesy. Do not despise prophesying. Do not despise prophecies. Okay, Um, and saints, if we're going to prophesy, uh, okay, this meeting started at 7, right? Am I right? Okay, I need to watch my time here. If we're going to prophesy, we need to love the Lord to the uttermost. What is the first thing in prophesying? Maybe I should put L here, L, P-S-R-P. The first thing is loving the Lord to the uttermost. You know, uh, Brother Lee told us a story that when he was 19 years old he got saved. He got saved through a sister who was 25 years old. She was 25 years old. And she was speaking to a group of over a thousand people in Mainland China in the early part of the 20th century, which was unheard of at that time. It was unheard of for a young woman to be preaching the gospel to over a thousand people in Mainland China in the early part of the 20th century. So he went out of curiosity. We went there and he got dynamically saved. He consecrated his life to the Lord. And he said, I never heard a word from the Lord that powerful, that powerful. And he said the reason why she had so much power and authority was because she loved the Lord to the uttermost. So loving the Lord qualifies, perfects, and equips us to speak for the Lord. When you love the Lord, you have to speak about Him. You have to speak about Him. You just love Him, right? Uh, So, He overflows from within you when you love Him. Okay, now, uh, some other verses. We have Romans 10, 12, and 13. Romans 10, 12, and 13. Where it says, The same Lord of all is rich to all who call upon Him. Do we want the Lord to be rich to us? We need to call on Him. How rich is the Lord to us? We're short of calling on His name. This is why we need to call on His name, so that He would be rich to us. Then it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't we need to be saved more? So we need to call on the name of the Lord more. Then we got Ephesians six, seventeen, and 18. I've already mentioned those verses in essence. It says, "...receive the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition, praying at every time in spirit, and watching under this in all perseverance and petition concerning all the saints." So we receive the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the word of God, how? By means of all prayer and petition, that means by various means of prayer and petition, Praying at every time in spirit and watching under this. That means watch under your pray reading. Don't let your pray reading slip. We have a book called Holy Word for Morning Revival. We have a gray box there. That gray box is for our pray reading. Don't just read through that uh, in a cursory way. Pray read that. Uh, pray read that in a strong way. Pray read those verses. Pray read the ministry that doesn't replace those verses, but that opens up those verses and that brings you into the reality of those verses. So we need to pray over the Word, right? Um, I'm concerned that our morning revival is like getting a cup of coffee and a donut from Dunkin' Donuts. And it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be something quick. I know Dunkin' Donuts, I found out, is famous here on the East Coast. Uh, it, that surprised me very much uh, anyway <laughs> <That's right. laughs> our our morning revival shouldn't be like that it shouldn't be like that we should tarry with the Lord and pray read his word in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, a lot of us know this verse but it says your words were found Amen. we need to make a new discovery in the word every day your words were found I've found something in your word, Lord. Your words were found, and I ate them. I ate them. And your word became to me, your word became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. The gladness and joy of my heart. In Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3, uh, these verses tell us, now don't worry about the time because my real burden is at the beginning. Then we'll just read through the outline. We'll be finished. You we'll have plenty of time to testify. Okay. Now, in in uh, well, let me just mention Matthew 4, four first. Matthew four four. It says, "Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God." So we live on every word that's in this Bible. We live on every word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. That means the book of Numbers too. You live on every word. That means you need to read your whole Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and then start over again. You know, You know. Uh, we were in a turmoil one time in 77, 78, and the remedy for that turmoil, many of us can remember this, was to read three chapters in the old and one in the new. You remember this, brother Ken? To read three chapters in the old and one in the new, and we did that. We all got revived. We all got revived just by reading the Bible. Just by reading the Bible. I'm still amazed that um, that the astronauts, when some of them, when they were circling the moon, one of them got a. I don't know, he smuggled part of a Bible on board, and while they were circling the moon, uh, everybody was watching in Times Square, watching that space shuttle circling the moon, and all of a sudden, the astronaut, I forget who it was, but he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can you imagine that? He started reading Genesis 1, and the earth became waste and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the waters. And God said, and everyone's there, let there be light. And there was light. Wow. Listen, you know why the Lord took them up there? Just to read the Bible to the whole world. There's nothing there. What's up there? What's up there? You know, I told my grandson that, uh, (laughs) you know, he has a little book on the moon, uh, on on the moon, on on the, on the people going to the moon, and I was going through that book with him, and I told him I said, I said I actually touched a moon rock. He said, You did, Grandpa. I said, Yeah, I touched a moon rock. He said, What happened to you? What happened? You? <laughs> well, nothing happened to me. It's just a moon rock. I just touched it it's at the Smithsonian Institute, you know. But can you imagine circling the moon and reading the Bible to the whole world? That is awesome. That is awesome. Saints, we have a a great, great book in our hand called The Book, which is Bible means the book, the book. And when we were in Russia, the first thing we did when people came to the gospel meetings was we passed out the Bible to them. And the brother said, how many of you are holding a Bible in your hands for the first time? And hundreds of hands would go up because it was against the law to have a Bible. It was against the law to have a Bible. So most of the hands would go up. And uh, I was just in tears when I saw that. I said, my goodness, look at this. I take the Bible for granted. Here they are. They ju- they're just treasure their Bible because they're able to have a Bible for the first time in their lives. They were looking through it. Then I remember I had to share on Luke 15 on the prodigal son. Then I realized they don't know anything about this. So I have to tell the whole story. They have no background uh, in the Bible. Uh, Dick Taylor and I, we preached the gospel on a street called No God Street. Can you imagine that? What kind of street is that? No God Street. Listen, you could get a degree in atheism in. Uh, in russia in those days before we went that's to get a degree in darkness you know a degree in atheism. no god street and the building we were preaching in was, a, was the society for the blind <laughs> <laughs> so we were opening people's eyes to see god on no god street okay I don't know how I got there but anyway my, my point is, is saints, let's read the Bible every day. Amen. Read the ministry every day. Read the Bible every day. Amen. Okay, Second 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us to flee youthful lust. Tonight all of us are fleeing. All of us have fled here. It's Saturday night, am I right? Amen. And here we are here, we're Saturday night. I still remember when I first got saved, it was Saturday night. And, uh, I'd gotten saved. I began to love the Lord, and I was reading the Bible and I was drinking a glass of milk. on on Saturday night. And you know, when you're in college, Saturday night is like, all right, it's Saturday night, you know. And so, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just reading my Bible, drinking a glass of milk. Then I looked at the Bible. I looked at the milk. I said, What has happened to me? <laughs> What has happened to me? What happened? And then I went, praise the Lord. Yeah. Something has happened to me. I'm, I'm being transformed, right? I don't want to go out there with that crowd anymore. I want to read the Bible and drink my milk. In fact, I want to do even more than that. I want to flee youthful lusts and pursue Christ as righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those. Saints, we are with those tonight who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we are with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Isn't that wonderful? This is the way we can be overcomers. These are, these are. we can say we've heard these things or we know these things, but how much do we practice them? What is the intensity of our practice? What is the uh, the quality of our practice? Is our practice a model? You see, this is what we want. This is what we want. Okay, now, I would say if we want a personal revival, I wrote down a few things. If we want a personal revival for a corporate revival, there are a few things that I wrote down. Uh, a, a few other things, it might be rep- a repetition here. Uh, number one is, be open to Christ. Be open to Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I'd like to open to you. Now, what does it mean to be open to Christ? What does it mean to be open to Christ? To be open to Christ means you tell him your real condition and your true situation. You tell him your real condition, you tell him your true situation. Be open to him. You can't say, Oh, Lord, I feel wonderful. He'll say, No, you don't. You know, he knows you, he knows your real situation, he knows your true condition. So you need to tell him. Be honest with him. Be real with him. The more real you are with the Lord, the more real he'll be to you. So when things are bothering you, tell the Lord. Don't say, oh, I'm so bothered. I'm so troubled. Why is that brother bothering me like this? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so... Add Lord Jesus to the wor- to the, what you're saying. Lord Jesus, I'm so bothered. Lord Jesus, I'm so troubled. Then the Lord will interrupt you and say, you shouldn't be bothered. You shouldn't be troubled. You have my presence. And then I'll say, Lord, you're right, but I'm still bothered. Lord Jesus, what should I do, Lord? Lord, I open to you. Then when we, when we open to the Lord, He fills us with Himself. Amen. So again, To be open to Christ is to tell him our real condition and our true situation. When we do this, he becomes, according to Revelation 2.17, he becomes our hidden manna. He becomes our hidden manna. Hidden manna is the manna we eat, digest, and assimilate in secret with the Lord. In secret with the Lord. It's the manna we eat where there's no distance between us and the Lord. So. Saints, we need to have hundreds and thousands of conversations with the Lord. Eventually, those hundreds and thousands of conversations with the Lord become the hidden manna and become a memorial between us and God. So have a root system with the Lord. Have a secret history with Him. Be open to Him. Tell Him your real condition. Tell Him your true situation. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. In Numbers 20, verses 7 and 8, Numbers 20, verses 7 and 8, we remember earlier that in the book of Exodus, uh, God told Moses to strike the rock, and the rock would be cleft, and water would pour out for all the millions of people to drink. But after the rock is cleft, it doesn't need to be cleft again. So he said, Speak to the rock. And bid the waters flow. We have a hymn in our hymnal. Speak to the rock and bid the waters flow. the 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 rock, the cleft rock, is in our spirit. The way we can enjoy the flow of that living water is to speak to the rock. Speak to Christ. Talk to Christ honestly. Talk to Christ. Re- be real with him. I say again: the more real you are with him, the more real he'll be to you. The more re- he is your best friend. He's your husband. He's your friend, he's your physician. He's your physician, think about it. He's your husband. He's your friend. He's your physician. He's your elder brother. Uh you know, you could go on and on. He's even our lawyer. He's our advocate in first John two. If the devil's bothering you, tell him, Don't bother me, talk to my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we need to be open to Christ. Amen. Now, we talked about this uh, already. We need to breathe Christ every day, breathe Christ. In Lamentations three fifty-five 55 and 56, it says this. It says, it says, I called upon your name, O Jehovah, out of the lowest pit. Don't hide your ear at my breathing, at my cry. So, we have to breathe the Lord in every day, and especially when when we're in a low pit. Don't say, oh, I'm in a low pit. What am I going to do? Don't try to analyze yourself out of the pit. Maybe you don't understand why you're in the pit. Maybe you're there, how did I get into this pit? And then you try to analyze it. Don't do that. Just call on the name of the Lord. The reason why you're in the pit is so that the Lord got you there so that you could call on him. And so that you could be real with him in that pit. So we need to breathe Christ. We need to drink Christ. We need to drink Christ. Every day, drink Christ. Don't think so much about Christ. Drink Christ. Drink Christ. In 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen, it says we were all given to drink of one spirit. We were all given to drink of one spirit. In John four ten, when the Lord was with that Samaritan woman, he said, he said this to her. I like what he said to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who speaks with you, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, how do we get the living water? Just ask him. Just ask him. Just say, Lord, give me living water, Lord. Amen. So we need to drink Christ. We need to eat Christ. Now, uh, saints, this matter of eating Christ is just wonderful. And one thing that I like very much is we've got these verses. Let me write these verses on the board for you so you have them. Um, everybody's still with me, right? Yeah. Okay. Very good. Okay, we've got Isaiah 7. 14, and 15. Now watch when he has an article in the Collected Works on these two verses called The Power of Choosing. The Power of Choosing. In Isaiah seven fourteen, it says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Isaiah wrote this in 8 B.C., 8 BC. So can you imagine uh, 800 years before Christ was born uh, there was a prophecy that he would be born. Can you imagine that? Think about that. That is a tremendous thing. 800 years before Christ was born. That's like uh, someone in, in around 1200 prophesying that Paul Jurishek would be born. And And I mean think about that. I mean it's just phenomenal. Just phenomenal. But saints what you have next is, in verse 15, is Christ's human living. In verse 14, you have Christ's birth. In verse 15, you have Christ's human living. And uh, I'll quote from the Darby translation in, in quoting verse 15. It says this, He shall eat butter and honey all the days of his life, that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now what is the good there? The good there is the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that's the power of choosing. How do we choose the will of God? What is You know, uh, sometimes the will of God isn't easy to choose. It's not easy to choose. Uh, Jess was telling me, Jess what did you say to me to come to Boston you really have to you really have to be an overcomer right? something like that. Benson said uh, the last five years ago you don't have to go to Russia to get transformed you just come to Boston. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? You just come to Boston you get transformed. Well the power of choosing God's will comes from enjoying Him as butter and honey. And the Lord Jesus enjoyed the Father as butter and honey. What is butter? Butter is the richest grace. What is honey? Honey is the sweetest love. The richest grace and the sweetest love. So every day, we need to enjoy butter and honey. In the divine and mystical realm, you don't need to worry about cholesterol. You don't need to worry about sugar. You need to eat all the butter and honey you can, right? So, butter again is the uh, richest grace. Honey is the sweetest love. So, the richest grace means we enjoy Christ to the uttermost. Grace is God in Christ as the Spirit for our enjoyment. This shows that the Lord Jesus, in his human living, he enjoyed the Father as butter, as butter. He enjoyed the father as honey as his sweetest love. He was constrained with the father's sweetest love so that he could do the father's will. What was the power behind Christ choosing the father's will at all times? It was butter and honey. Isn't that wonderful? So that's why John 6:57 says, "As the living father has sent me, and I live because of the father." How did he live because of the father? He lived because of the Father, because he ate butter and honey all the days of his life. I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he shall live because of me. So we need to eat the Lord as our butter and honey, as our butter and honey. Now uh, I would say another point that I would share with you is we need to learn, and, and I'm putting myself with you, I'm speaking to myself first. We need to learn to rest in Christ, to rest in Christ, to take Christ as our Sabbath rest. In Isaiah 30, verse 15a, Isaiah 30, verse 15a, this verse says, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. So when we return to the Lord with our whole being, and we take him as our Sabbath rest, we will be saved. And we take him as our quietness. That means when there's all kind of things like a tornado going on around us, there's an inner quietness in our being. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Shall be your strength. Okay, now, there's a portion in Song of Songs where the seeker is going on with the Lord and she's called to be delivered from the self through her oneness with the cross by the power of Christ's resurrection. And this is in Song of Songs 2, 8, and 9, and 14, and 15. In verse 8 and 9, she says, The voice of my beloved, now he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young heart. Now he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He is glancing through the lattice. Now, who is Christ here? He's the mountain leaping and hill skipping Christ. He's the one in resurrection. He leaps over every mountain. He skips over every hill. He's the one in your spirit who can leap over every barrier, who can skip over every hill. But the problem with the seeker is, is that she became introspective. She became introspective. So she says this, now he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows. He's glancing through the lattice. In other words, she was behind the wall. A lattice is like a a, a window with bars on it. So she was looking at him, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills, but she was trapped in herself. And, she, and because he said, my beloved responds and says to me, rise up, my love, my beauty, and come away with me. Come away with me. But she was in herself. She was in her introspective self. Now, what does it mean to be in the introspective self? It means you analyze yourself by looking into yourself. Analy- you analyze yourself by looking into yourself. And saints, the Bible never tells us to analyze ourselves. The Bible ne- never tells us to look into ourselves. The Bible tells us to look away to Jesus. You get discouraged looking into yourself. You get encouraged and go, "Oh wow, I'm wonderful." No, you you don't. You get discouraged, right? You have to look away to Jesus. Don't analyze yourself. Don't look away. Look away to Jesus. Don't don't look at yourself. Don't analyze yourself. Don't inspect yourself. Don't be introspective. Sometimes when we give a testimony, we get introspective. We Maybe when we first came in the church life, I always say this. When you're a new one, you get amens no matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. If you can say, ga-ga-goo-ga, praise the Lord, amen, I don't know. You know, the amen meter goes off the charts, right? And then, but if I say that 10 years later, it's just going to go, amen, right? I'm going to get one amen, right? And and then I get introspective and I say why don't I get a, why don't I get any amens anymore and so I don't share anymore well I'm trapped inside my introspective self or I might share share a word and everybody says a lot of amens everybody responds and then I make that the standard for all my sharing I make that the standard for all my sharing all my sharing has to be that good and so when we do that we get, we fall into introspection. You see that we're analyzing ourselves, we're looking into ourselves, we're judging ourselves, and that kills our function. That kills our function. But what the Lord does is he calls her to rise up, my beauty, my love, and come away with me, and come away with me. Then he calls her his dove, his dove, and he transports her out of her, Our, our self is terrible, right? He transports her out of herself into the clefts of the rock. And the clefts of the rock is the crucified Christ. So he says, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the precipice, let me see your countenance, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. So eventually she becomes his dove. That means she gets so soaked with the Spirit that she becomes a dove. A dove is a symbol of the Spirit. And she is living in the clefts of the rock. She is living in the covert of the precipice. How did she get there? She got there by the mountain leaping and hill skipping Christ. By the power of Christ's resurrection. So everyday saints, don't analyze yourself. Don't inspect yourself. Look away unto Jesus. Amen. Look away unto Jesus and, and enjoy the power of resurrection transporting you out of yourself. Into oneness with Him and the cross of Christ, and the cross of Christ. Okay. Then another point I have here is we need to know, we need to know the power of Christ's resurrection and His love through being broken, through being broken. You know, saints, we need to be broken. Uh, and we don't like to hear a word like this, but we do, and. Uh, when I consider the saints in this room, many saints in this room, I, I know that they're broken. They pass through a lot of sufferings, a lot of trials, and you realize, you know, like Peter. Peter thought he was better than all the other disciples. He said, Lord, even if all of these, all of these ones deny you, I will never deny you. I will never deny you. And, you know, he denied the Lord three times. We know this. And the Lord said to Peter, the first thing he said to Peter, he said, said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? You thought you loved me more than these ones, but you don't. In other words, his natural absoluteness was broken, was broken. You know, uh, one time uh, I was with Howard Agashi, and I said, Howard, how could this brother leave the recovery? I can't understand it. He said, and this brother was never broken. He was never broken. He was absolute. He could be absolute apart from Christ. You see the point? And his natural absoluteness was never broken. It comes to a point where you have to realize that I can only be absolute by taking Christ as my absoluteness. Amen. You see? I need Christ in everything. I I need to depend on Christ in everything. I need to depend on Christ for everything. And so many times the Lord will take us through things where our our gentleness is broken. Maybe we're a gentle person, but then he gives us, uh, and we never lose our temper. You know, like some some sisters in the training, they look like they have halos on. But they're, they're just so angelic. But then you get them married, you get them with two kids, and they lose their temper. They lose their temper because their halos came off. Their halos came off and got, <laughs> and got broken, right? And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because that means they need to depend on the Lord for their angelic life, right? They need to depend on the Lord to be their quietness, to be their steadiness, to be their patience, to be, their, to be all their uh, virtues with the divine attributes filling their human virtues and being expressed through their human virtues. So Peter was broken. His natural absoluteness was broken. And the Lord said to him three times, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know. You know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? Can you imagine the Lord asking you three times, do you love me? And he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now that shows that our love for the Lord. That comes from the Lord himself as our love. You see, we can't even love the Lord apart from him being our love. He has to be our love for us to love him. Otherwise, we can't love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. That's the first John says. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he constrained us with his love. Okay, now one other point and then we'll come to the outline. I didn't realize I had so much to share. I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen in this meeting. Uh, but thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Okay, saints, every day have a new beginning and a new consecration. Amen. Have a new beginning and a new consecration. Tell the Lord that you want to walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6.4. Tell the Lord that you want to serve him in newness of spirit. That's Romans seven six. Have a new beginning. Have a new consecration. Take the Lord as your substitute. Tell the Lord, be everything to me, Lord, and do everything in me, through me, and for me, Lord. Take him as your substitute. Take him as your unleavened bread. Take him as your sinless supply. Then that day will be a memorial day in your life, in your life. To take him as your substitute is to take him as. The the quote we know from John Nelson Darby, Oh, the joy of having nothing, being nothing, seeing nothing, but a living Christ in glory and being careful for nothing but his interest down here. But his interest down here. Okay, now let's come to Roman numeral 2. Roman numeral 2. The disciples of Christ were discipled through Christ, human living on the earth as the model of a God-man. Through his living God, by denying himself in humanity, this revolutionized their concept concerning man. They had never seen a man like this before. This is the first time a man lived like this on the earth. He lived God by denying himself in humanity. So A says our life should be a copy, a reproduction of the model of the life of Christ, the first God man. The first God man we talked about this. Okay, B says, the spirit of life and reality who was breathed into the disciples would guide them into the reality of what they had observed of the Lord when they were with him for three and a half years. Saints, we have the spirit of reality in our spirit. It says the spirit of reality will guide you into all the reality. We need to pray, Lord, as the spirit of reality Guide me into the reality of everything I've heard this weekend. Guide me into the reality of all that you are in the Gospels. He will answer a prayer like this. Okay, One says, at the commencement of the first God-man's ministry, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, recognizing that according to his flesh, his humanity, he was good for nothing but death and burial. So the Lord put something on, even though the Lord was sinless. We know the Lord was sinless, but he put something on that was not a part of his divinity. He put on the flesh. So he recognized that according to his flesh, his humanity, he was good for nothing but death and burial. And when he came to be baptized by John, John said, I am need to be baptized by you. And so the Lord said... You have to permit this now, John, to fulfill all righteousness. And what is it to fulfill all righteousness? It's to be right by living and doing, doing things in the way that God has ordained. So what did God ordain? God ordained baptism. God ordained baptism. Because we're good for nothing but death and burial, we need to be baptized. And we need to live in the reality of our baptism. You know, when I first got regenerated... I didn't think I needed to be baptized because I was touching the Lord, I was reading the Bible, and um, I didn't have the term enjoyment then, but I was enjoying the Lord to a certain extent. And different people would come to me and try to get me to be baptized. I would say, I don't need to be baptized. Then one brother came to me and said, Ed, even the Lord Jesus was baptized. I said, I'm getting baptized. (laughs) I'm getting baptized I mean if he got baptized you better get baptized but he recognized that he was good for nothing but death and burial Saints we need to have this realization this makes us useful to the Lord. have a recognition a realization that in in your flesh in your humanity you're good for nothing but death and burial this is why you need to live by another life why you needed to live by the divine life in your human life. Now when the Lord was baptized, the heavens were open to Him. The Spirit of God descended like a dove upon Him, and He heard the voice of the Father out of the heavens, saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I have found my delight. In the same way, when we have the attitude that we are good for nothing but death and burial, the heavens become open to us. We're living under an open heavens. The Spirit of God descends upon us, And we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I have found my delight. Now 2 says, he trained his disciples to learn from him in the miracle of feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. A says, his looking up to heaven to bless the five loaves and the two fish indicates his realizing that the source of blessing was not him, the sent one, but the Father, the Sending One. B says, He did not remain in the issue of the miracle with the crowds, but went away from them to be with the Father on the mountain in prayer. I really like this, with the Father on the mountain in prayer. Now we would have remained in the issue of the miracle. Here's a great miracle, 5,000 men fed with five loaves and two fishes. Now that's 5,000 men. You had the women and the children. There's at least 10,000 there. Now can you imagine if we had a meeting like that where 10,000 people got fed with five loaves and two fish, we would say, let's have testimonies, right? Let's just remain in the issue of this, have testimonies, have a few days to camp around this, find out how this happened, fellowship with the Lord about it. But you know what the Lord did? He sent the crowds away immediately. He sent the crowds away. He compelled, it says, uh, he compelled the disciples to step into a boat and go before him to the other side. He sent the crowds away so that he could have more time to pray privately to the Father. He wanted more time to pray privately to the Father so that he could be one with the Father in carrying out the kingdom of the heavens. Saints, if the Lord wanted more time to pray privately to the Father, what about us? We should pray, Lord, give me more time to pray privately to you for the sake of the kingdom of the heavens and for the sake, not for my personal spirituality, but for the sake of the body of Christ. Then three says, he taught his disciples to pray to execute God's will for his economy, having faith in God without doubting. Four says, he lived a life of contacting God living in the presence of God without ceasing and of contacting people, ministering God into them to bring them into the jubilee of God's New Testament economy. Saints, our life is a life of contacting God and contacting people. That's what our life is. That's what the God-ordained way is. It's contacting God to be infused with God. It's contacting people to infuse them with the God with whom and in whom you've been infused. So saints, every day we need to contact God and contact people with the God we've enjoyed, with the God we've enjoyed. Now, I love 5. I love this point. In John 14:30, he said, I will not speak much with you for the ruler of the world is coming and in me he has nothing. There was one man in the universe that could say in me, Satan has nothing. That means Satan has no ground, no chance, no opportunity. What does it say here again? No ground, no chance, no hope, no possibility in anything. Isn't that wonderful? There's a person in your spirit in whom Satan has no ground. In whom Satan has no chance. Amen. In whom Satan has no hope. Amen. In whom Satan has no possibility in anything. Amen. This person is in your spirit. When you are in your spirit, you are in him. When you are in him, Satan has no ground, no hope, no possibility, no chance Amen. in anything, right? So, Saints, let's say, Lord, keep me in my spirit, Lord. Amen. Then we say, Lord, keep me in You, Lord. Lord, keep me in You, because when we are in the Lord, we are in our spirit. We're in our spirit. We're in the Lord, and Satan has no ground, no chance, no hope, and no possibility in anything. Now there was a story uh, told. uh, This was in a in a war uh, many years ago. The one side had tanks. The other side, all they had was rifles. So how are they going to fight these people with tanks? Well, they would, they would take their rifles and they would shoot at the tank. And it would go ping. It would go ping on the tank. Then they would shoot the rifle again. Ping. And they would keep pinging the tank with their rifles. And the person inside the tank would get bothered. He'd get anxious. He'd get troubled. He goes, what are these pings all about? You know, who's pinging my tank? And then he would open the hatch of his tank, and he was, boom, he was dead. He was dead. Listen, don't open the hatch of your spirit. Stay in the tank of your spirit. Don't listen to the pings of the devil, right, to distract you from remaining in your spirit, right? Anyway, I didn't make this story up. This is from the ministry, believe it or not. It's from the ministry. Okay. So he says, We are also discipled to live a God-man life by observing the intrinsic pattern of Christ sent once his slaves, who are his duplication. I was in the recovery observing our brother Watchman. He acted for 18 years. All that I observed in him became things discipling me. When I was with the brothers, working with the brothers on construction, the way they worked discipled me. The way they dressed discipled me. I'm talking about construction now. The way they dressed discipled me. The way they swept the floor discipled me. When I swept the floor, I would just, phew, and dust would go everywhere. You know, it just ended up where I was just moving the dust around. And, uh, but when they swept the floor, every speck of dust came off of that floor. Their humanity was so fine, and it touched me so deeply, and their, their pattern became something discipling me. something discipling me. Of course, Brother Watchman, he was a big disciple to uh, Brother Lee for 18 years. Now D says, the only way to live the life of a God-man according to the Lord's model is to set our entire being on the mingled spirit, walking, living, and having our being according to the mingled spirit. Then Roman numeral three, we come to Roman numeral three. Matthew 24:45 through 51, this is one of my favorite portions in the Bible, reveals that to live the life of a God-man, we must be faithful to give God as food to the members of his household so that we may win Christ, win Christ as our reward in the coming kingdom. In Matthew 24, it says, Who then is the faithful and prudent slave? Whom the master has set over his household. Listen to this. To give them food at the proper time. Give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So we have these three words. Give them food. What is our occupation? It's to give them food. To give God's people in his household spiritual food. You know, uh, in my office, which is uh, in my bedroom, when I wake up in the morning and I look to my right, there's a frameable quote that says, give them food. Actually, it was a sister here that made it for me. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, sister. Tell me your name again. Tina. Tina, That's right. Tina. Tina made me this quote. She she hand-sewed it. It says, give them food. Can you imagine that? Tina, thank you, I want to thank you again. Okay, so when I, when, <laughs> when I look to my right, I see give them food. When I get up and look to my left, I have another, another framework quote, it says give them food. When I go to my desk, there's another framework quote, it says give them food. So you know what my burden is? To give them food. Give them food. Saints, this needs to be our burden. I want you to highlight these three words in your Bible. Give them food. Give them food. Now A says, God has sent faithful and prudent slaves over his household as household administrators, stewards, channels of supply to give his people food at the proper time. Give his people food at the proper time. In Ephesians 3, 2, Paul says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. So we have a stewardship of the enjoyment of God that was given to us for others. In other words, we enjoy the Lord for others. That's our, that's our motive for enjoying the Lord. It's for the sake of others. Even for our children, we have to enjoy the Lord. For our spouse, we have to enjoy the Lord, Right. For the brothers and sisters, we have to enjoy the Lord. For the ones we're taking care of, we have to enjoy the Lord. Now B says, to give them food refers to ministering the Word of God and Christ as the life supply to the believers in the church. Christ as the life-giving spirit is our food embodied and realized in the word of life. Then one, in order to enjoy the Lord as our spiritual food so that we can feed others, We must pray over and muse on his word, tasting and enjoying it through careful considering. Now Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4 are good verses because these verses tell us to eat. It says, Son of man, eat what I give you and go speak to the house of Israel. So there's three words here, eat, go, and speak. You can't speak if you don't go. You can't go if you don't eat. So eat, go, and speak. Now, two says, we must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, there's a warning in this passage. That begins with C. To say in our heart that our master delays is to love the present evil age and not to love the Lord's appearing. We shouldn't say the Lord is delaying his coming. I have lots of time to do what I want to do. No. The Lord's coming is close. Someone someone uh Daniel, I think it was this morning, yeah, it was this morning, or uh, it was our brother here. Brother, what is your name again? Bruce. Bruce, yeah. Bruce shared that we're right at the end. We're right at the end. Uh, If you look, you know, Bruce, I was considering, even just now, after you shared that, when you look at that great human image in Daniel 2, we're right at the bottom of that human image. Uh, The next thing to come is the stone cut out without ends to smash that human image. Hallelujah! Right? And the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. We are right at the bottom of that image. We are very close to His coming. Don't say, your master delays His coming. Now why would we say this? One says, we must beware of covetousness, not storing up treasure for ourselves, but being rich toward God. We need to be rich toward God. That's, that's Luke 12. I don't have this verse on here. Add verse 21. Luke 12, 16 through 21. It says, uh, anyway, there's a, there's a parable here. We need to be rich toward God. And saints, let me just say this little, just this little tidbit here. We need to train our young people to give to the Lord, to give to the Lord. At least to tithe to the Lord, to give 10% of everything they have. If they get a dollar, they should give a dime to the Lord. If they get $10, they should give a dollar to the Lord. Build up a habit of tithing, of at least tithing. Uh, Our brothers share with us, it would be marvelous if we could tithe, give 10%, and give 5% to the work on the earth so that the Lord could spread the Lord's work on the earth and anyway we need to practice things like this we need to be we need to give to the Lord Two says, remember Lot's wife is a solemn warning to the world loving believers remember Lot's wife eventually God was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah uh, he sent some angels to rescue Lot and his family he told Lot and his family don't look back well, Lot's wife looked back. That shows her heart was in the evil world that God was destroying and judging, so she became a pillar of salt. So, so the Lord told us three words, remember Lot's wife. Three says we must be watchful and besieging so that the day of the Lord's coming would not come suddenly upon us as a snare. Then D says to beat our fellow slaves is to mistreat fellow believers. I don't like this at all, brothers and sisters. In my history in the church life, regretfully, I've seen this. I've seen the mistreating of fellow believers. Never mistreat your fellow believers. Never do this. Never do this. The Lord doesn't like this. One says, we must not judge and condemn our fellow believers, but be kind to them, tender-hearted, forgiving them, even as God in Christ forgave us. Two says, we must not revile or criticize our brothers, but consider them more excellent than ourselves. Three says, we must not lord it over our fellow believers, but serve them as slaves to feed them with the resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit. So we feed them with the resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit, Saints, if we're going to do that, if we're going to serve our fellow believers with Christ as the life-giving spirit, we need to allow Him to serve us first. Amen. Do you realize the Lord is serving us? He served us in the past. He's serving us in the present. He will serve us in the future. In Mark 10:45, he said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So... Oh, okay, brother. Okay, thank you. Okay. No problem. Okay. Um, so, uh, he served us in the past. He serves us in the present. In Luke 22, 26, and 27, he says, I am in your midst as one who serves. Isn't that wonderful? Right now, he's serving us with himself. In Luke 12:37, he said, In the coming kingdom, I will make you sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will serve you in the kingdom of my Father. Amen. So he will serve us in the future. We need to allow him to serve us so that we can serve others with Christ. Amen. Then he says, To eat and drink with the drunken is to keep company with worldly people who are drunk with worldly things. One says, because of their divine nature and holy standing, the believers should not be yoked together with the unbelievers. This should be applied to all intimate relationships between believers and unbelievers, not only to marriage and business. Two says, in order to live the life of a God-man, we must flee youthful lust and pursue the all-inclusive Christ with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, how about we stand and read Roman numeral 4 altogether? together, those of us who can stand. Amen. We should all declare that we want to live the life of a God-man. Eventually, the God-men will be the victors, the overcomers, the Zion within Jerusalem. This will bring in a new revival which has never been seen in history, and this will end this age. Praise the Lord. Okay, saints, we can be seated. Amen. Amen.